0: 15
1: respect all fear none
0: into the upper deck
1: intensity is not a perfume oh my goodness Five, four three, two, one
0: Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast. If you are tuning in live on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel, you are seeing that we are in a brand new setup. Our new Mass and All Access podcast set is complete. We have moved away from the traditional uh, studio setup and a more comforting uh, Nationals podcast setup. Right now, we'll have some decorations up as we progress, but we wanted to get into the new space as soon as possible. And also, if you're watching live, you'll notice this is not Amy Jennings. This is Brendan Mortenson, who was filling in pinch hitting for Amy, who had some scheduling conflicts today uh, before we get recorded. So we want to thank Brendan so much for joining us and um, pinch hitting for for Amy right now. We all want to thank Paul Mancano for producing the show behind the scenes. Um, Brendan, we have not been on camera for together. Oh, he's on no. podcast format, maybe ever.
1: Well, we did do a couple. I, I'm thinking of the the pregame segment from Nats Extra right. that we did during the season but I don't think we've done a podcast before.
0: I don't think we've done a podcast before either. Even when you first started here, I yeah. Madison. and I was uncharted new, territory. Yeah, and then we gave way for you to do the podcasts podcast right. with uh with Paul and then we split uh, so yeah, so this is a new new adventure for the two of us. Um, Exciting? Yeah, you get to help break in the new set, which is cool. I know. It so,
1: it does look a little it's a little dungeon-y, yeah. I think. Without the, mm-hmm. without the stuff behind here so far, we just have this red hue behind us. Yeah. It, it, it looks a little dungeony. It does, and maybe we can get, like, you guys have like a nice
0: bobblehead set up in the corner. Maybe yeah. we can get something up in the corner, some bobbleheads. I don't think there's enough room on this table right now, but <laughs> it's
1: a, it's a it's small cramp.
0: But I think the idea is that it's supposed to look like the brick walls outside of Nationals Park. Um, You know, if you walk around the stadium, you see kind of this. It's not bright enough to be the monuments. Uh, The monuments is more of like a really bright white. This is kind of a pale slate, I guess. So I think but the idea we're in we, Nat's Park.
1: Yeah, once we do some like stencils and, yeah. and stuff like that, it'll have a cool vibe to it'll it. Look it'll look like good.
0: There were some graffiti artists going around Nat's Park and, and painting the outdoors. Yeah, so exactly. We'll definitely be updating this as we move along and it'll look a lot better um, for the next couple of shows. Um, Amy will be back soon um probably for the next episode next week but uh, we want to again thank you for pinch hitting um real quick before we get into the podcast halloween was this
1: week it was are
0: you of the still going out trading dressed up group are you staying
1: home greeting trick-or-treaters group yeah so not not the trick-or-treater but uh did go up to philadelphia with some friends last weekend and we did do like a whole costume bit thing which was fun like a like a contest no just just for fun okay. it, it was a it was a group of friends and we just all did costumes like right. for the weekend which and was a good you time were I was I was the Hamburglar. Nice. The bit was that I was not the Hamburglar. I was just dressed as somebody who looked very much like the Hamburglar, but I, I I was okay. So
0: yeah. the hamburger, but not the hamburger. Exactly. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. No, I was a little disappointed. Uh, we did the stay at home hand. Uh, we live in a neighborhood in D.C. where there's a plenty of you know small families, young families, and little kids, and we got a total of four trick or treaters, bought a no. whole bunch of candies, and handed out four pieces of candy. I even told them, "We have no one here. Take as much as you can." And they were too polite. They took one a piece. Wow. Wow. For the four trigger treaters that came by our house. So uh Megan and I are still in our like shredding for the wedding mode. Our weddings' in like eleven days. So Ooh. having a big bowl of candy in the house is not ideal, especially for someone who has a sweet tooth like your boy.
1: Well it's maybe people just have to come tonight. I mean do a Halloween a little bit late yeah. you know that the Blanco household it's has open. some extra candy we are open swing by
0: um I, I I know the rain didn't help on Monday but there were still people it wasn't like there weren't people out I saw people across the street I think it's because our neighbors were like they had the whole like dark house no lights on mm. bit and we had lights on door was open we had some decorations but I think that was a problem no one came wanted to come to our the one house on that one side of the block well it this was-
1: is gonna sound very old man yells at cloud but I mean back in our day I yeah. mean you go out rain or shine and there you could see be a tornado and you are out trick-or-treating you
0: see a house with the lights on you go to that house exactly. you know that they're open you know that you're, you're trick-or-treating at that house yeah so i didn't really quite get it but hopefully we'll have some better luck next year and hopefully we find another megan works in a school so i think the idea is that she'll take a lot of extra candy to school hand out to her students there you go because but we need it we need it out of the house asap because i yeah. i'm picking at it way too much already <laughs> it hasn't even been 24 hours um well brendan it actually is kind of fitting that you're joining this podcast. You, you do the Orioles podcast for Masson mm-hmm. with Paul Mancano and you've been covering the Orioles, uh, not exclusively, but more so the Orioles for a, a, lo- a long time for Masson. And today, you know, the off season, we talk a lot about player evaluations. Um, Mark Zuckerman's doing a great job on Sports.com, recapping each player season. Uh, there aren't a lot of like coaching and exec evaluations. And I wanted to talk about Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez a little bit today because it is a pretty important off season for the the two of them. And going into next year, I don't want to evaluate them so much from what they did this past season because obviously the worst record in baseball, there were not a lot of expectations. Um, you know, the trade deadline was the head headline for the season. Um, But I do kind of want to look ahead and see what they have to accomplish next year. They both had their contracts selected this summer. So they'll both definitely be back in 2023. But beyond that is a big question mark. Of course, the ownership questions hover over that as well. But what do Davey and uh, Mike have to do this next season to prove that they should see this rebuild for the long haul. And I mentioned that you're a good voice for that because you've been covering the Orioles. You've seen the Orioles do this with Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde over the past, four years and now they were on the brink of a playoff berth this past i think they're in the last week of the season right yeah. and then now they're expected to contend next year so just kind of your overall view how do you see the nationals approaching this rebuild as it relates to how the orioles did it uh just two years ago well, i years think ago? It,
1: it has to be a pretty similar strategy but mm-hmm. this upcoming year i think is a very it's a delicate time For the franchise, because obviously, you know, the focus is not going to be winning a ton of games at the major league level. You're not looking to make a playoff push, but that being said, you still need to, you know, you need to win a certain amount of games for your younger guys to have some development. You need to see the young core pieces that you have on the roster continue to improve and continue to prove that they are the core pieces going forward when this team is eventually competitive in a few years. And you also need to win on the margins a little bit better. We'll get into Mike Rizzo specifically in a little bit. But last year, I mean, the contracts that were signed to some older veteran players that were supposed to come in and supplement the value that the younger players were giving you, They didn't really give you much of anything. So I think Mike Rizzo has to do a much better job of winning on those margins a little bit, because again, you're not going to be a playoff team next season, but you at least need to have a competitive baseball team day in and day out, which would be huge for the development of some of those younger players.
0: Yeah, I think let's start right there for Mike Rizzo. Obviously, his first order of business is addressing the Major League roster this offseason season. Amy and I talked about it the past couple of weeks. Not too many holes to fill, but you can't go into next year with this same group of guys. I mean, worst record in baseball, 55 and 107. Worst record in club history. Definitely under Mike Rizzo. You know, that's not going to cut it next year. You have to at least make some marginal step forward next year, at least at the very minimum record. Like, you can't lose 107 games. If you are, maybe you're then way, focusing way too much on the lower levels of the minor leagues, and that's fine. But Mike Rizzo, first and foremost, as the GM, has to address the major league roster this season. And the only one glaring need to to Amy and I, what we talked about, is obviously probably you're, you're going to buy out Nelson Cruz at DH. You're going to move Luke Voigt into the DH full-time, so maybe a backup first baseman, unless you want to do the Riley Adams, Joey Manessis, Luke Voigt trio uh, bit. But then you're also... I think needing to address starting pitching and that's Mike Rizzo's calling card right he's been always had strong starting pitching he builds his teams around his starting rotation and they were one of the worst rotations, if not the worst rotation in baseball this season. Now, I understand you're putting a lot of emphasis on Josiah Gray, Patrick Corbinism, what he was once was. Um, you're hoping that Mackenzie Gore and Kate Cavalli are big contributors next year. But I do think he does need to address that rotation and add a, some kind of power bat to this lineup next year in order to help them. fill Also, you're losing Juan Soto and Josh Bell. You're not going to have that power for the first half of the season. You can't expect Luke Voigt, Joey Meneses. And unfortunately, maybe Lane Thomas to cover all that power lost by Juan Soto and Josh Bell.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned Nelson Cruz. As I said, I think that was kind of the issue that you found with the Nationals a season ago. You look at specifically Cesar Hernandez and Nelson Cruz. Those two combined to make 16 million dollars last year Mm -hmm. and you didn't get 16 million dollars worth of play out of those guys and when you're looking at free agents Mike Rizzo's not going to spend big money Mm. at least he shouldn't I think there's a very specific archetype of player that Mike Rizzo should be targeting really regardless of position and that is a low money veteran on a short-term deal somebody who's going to help you in a very specific role but isn't going to break the bank maybe somebody that you could trade at the deadline But they should be, at the very least, quality role players that are also a solid veteran presence as you have this really young team that is trying to figure out how the baseball thing works. So you should have, let's start with the starting rotation. You mentioned that they Mm. just were not good last year. You should have three locks in the starting rotation going into next season with Cade Cavalli, Mackenzie Gore, hopefully if he is healthy enough to pitch, and then Josiah Gray Mm. is obviously going to be in there as well. Outside of that, Patrick Corbin's probably going to be in the rotation because you're paying him a lot of money and you would as at least get some innings out of him. Right. And I think you need to find a starting pitcher, probably not even for $10 million. No. Let's say four five, $6 million range on a one year deal. Somebody who can eat a bunch of innings isn't going to be an elite starting pitcher, maybe an ERA in the fours. Maybe if he pitches well enough, you flip him at the deadline. But you need somebody that can eat innings so that you don't absolutely kill your bullpen. You mentioned the yep. Orioles connection. I think a Jordan Lyles—that yep. is the yep. perfect sort of archetype of pitcher. It's a quality veteran presence for some other younger starting rotation pitchers to look up to. He'll eat innings, and he's not going to break the bank for you. Yeah,
0: and that was my—I compar- was glad you brought that up because I was hoping you would make that comparison too. Because I know you guys talked about Jordan Lyles a lot in your podcast and how beneficial he was to that Orioles rotation this season and uh, now you're wondering if they should even pick up his option for next year that's exactly what I think too I agree with everything you just said I think bringing in a, a number five starter I mean you can't go into next year expecting this might just be who Eric Fetty is, and if that's the case, fine, but I think you need a step up from that for next year in the rotation. You have no clue what you're getting from Joe Ross from here on out. Uh, he's went, underwent another Tommy John surgery, so it's going to be a tough, difficult way for the Nationals to address this rotation, and you talk about spending money. I, in an ideal world, Mike Rizzo is spending all the money he wants. Like This is not going to be when he went and signed Max Scherzer, Daniel Murphy, right. uh, Doug Fister, uh, would name any big-name free agent he's got in the offseason in years past, he's kind of ha- handcuffed right now because of the whole ownership situation and where this team is. I mean, he understands. He said at the end of the season he wants to be aggressive. He's going to go attack this free agent market. That's all well and good to say that, but I don't think that's actually – Practical to do in practice. Like, I right. don't think he's going to be allowed to do that. Um, and they're going to be very cautious on how much money they spend. So I think a low level starting pitcher is a great way to add this rotation. You take a shot at him. Like you said, you might flip him out the deadline. And the other way that Mike Rizzo added this rotation this past offseason was he did a really good job actually with minor league deals. He signed minor league free agents. I'm, and I'm Specifically with the bullpen, I'm talking like Carl Edwards Jr., Andres Machado, Erasmo Ramirez. Ramirez ended up being their pitcher of the year. Carl Edwards Jr. was one of their best bullpen arms late in the season um, to go along with Kyle Finnegan. Those are the kinds signings i'm expecting a lot of mike rizzo one of those and i'm sure you've seen the orioles do the same thing just bring him in on a low cost minor league deal let him pitch and or play in uh, um, spring training and see if they make the team and if they do great then you're have a guy who can produce at a low cost and then maybe he turns into something by the deadline who knows but i think you're gonna see mike rizzo take a lot of chances that way as opposed to attacking the major league free
1: agent market yeah and Those minor league deals, when you're bringing in a Carl Edwards Jr., worked out a heck of a lot better than giving Nelson Cruz $12 million when he kind of fell off a bit this year and you couldn't even move him at the deadline. That was just pretty much dead money Mm -hmm. on the roster that wasn't really helping you production-wise. Towards the end of the year, Joey Manessis and Luke Voigt were just better options to play at DH than Nelson Cruz was and you can't really afford to just give out those kind of bad contracts when you're not even competing. Mm -hmm. That's a move that That said, yeah, we're taking a risk because we're making a push, and they were not making a push last year. So I wouldn't expect any sort of contract to look like Nelson Cruz. Some starters, as we keep talking about that rotation, that I looked at as potential free agents of names that made sense. Guys like Johnny Cueto, Kyle Gibson, Jordan Lyles, if the Orioles decline his option, Drew Smiley and Ross Stripling. Guys that can just eat innings. You know what you're going to get for from them, which is an ERA probably around four, yep, which is fine in this rotation yep. right now.
0: Well, that would that would have been one of the higher or right. best ERAs in the rotation exactly. of this past season. I mean, you have guys like Corbin with an ERA well over six, so that's not a good start, um, and that's easy to you know you can only get better from there. Um, outside of the major league roster, how does Rizzo also kind of add to this? farm system, I know Mike has said many times he does not care about prospect rankings, farm system rankings, which nor should he, right? He's the general manager of a major league ball club. What does he care about? Trivial stuff like that. But you and I and fans can care about it because it is sort of a measuring stick to determine how well this rebuild is going, you know, and it's not an exact science, but you know, if you can go back to before the 2021 season, the nationals had the worst ranked farm system in all of baseball per MLB pipeline. Now flash forward to this offseason, they're 15th. They're in the middle of the pack. And that's two, two trade deadlines, two drafts and an international signing period. I think that is, those are all three very key. Now I know Mike Rizzo doesn't have his direct hands on a lot of those things. He has international scouts. He's got college scouts, um, maybe he's got more hand on the trade deadline. He's the one that okays all of those trades. Uh, and he probably has a say in the first pick, but in the later round picks, he's probably not too involved in, but those are other ways that Rizzo can add to this farm system. And if you're talking about adding top prospects, they only have four, I believe in the top 100 right now per MLB pipeline, the nationals do. You might add a couple more, maybe via either one of those avenues, and then also hopefully get your farm system into a top 10, I think that's a sign for us and for the fans to point to and be like, okay, they are improving the way that they said they would improve.
1: And I know Mike Rizzo doesn't like to look at prospect rankings, but I'm going to look at prospect rankings right. because that's what that's I what have we available. And when I look at the Nationals prospects, specifically in the top 30 for MLB Pipeline, you look at the first seven eight nine names those are really good names Mm -hmm. the top end of this nationals farm system has some really talented players i mean brady house is the fifth best prospect in the nationals top 30 at this point fourth or fifth and he's a really good prospect what concerns me more about the nationals farm system is that after you get out of the top 10 you kind of go ooh, not really sure where the potential is coming from there And when you look at the past few trades where the Nationals have been unloading some major league talent, they're not getting a ton of quantity. They're getting really high quality prospects. Mm. You look back and they've gotten guys like k Barrett Ruiz, Josiah Gray, C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel. Those are all really high quality prospects. And those are guys that the Nationals might be able to build their team around moving forward those might be the centerpieces, but you still need pieces to complement them. Right. And they don't have a ton of guys in the farm system right now outside of the top 10 that you can really look at and say, well, I think this guy could be a quality major league player. And right. I think that's what separates the Nationals farm system from other top farm systems in the league is, yes, they have the high ends talent, but where is that depth coming from? Yeah. They're going to need it moving forward.
0: And I think a lot of that has to do with, the development of some of these prospects, the prospects that have been here longer. I'm not talking about the Hassels, the greens, the woods that just got here. I'm talking about like a Jackson Rutledge that at one time was the nationals top prospect in the organization ahead of Kate Cavalli. And now he's outside of their own top 10. Um, He had a strong finish to the season this year at Fredericksburg, which does all well and good, but he's a first round pick that still seems a years away from the major league roster and good, good on Kate Cavalli. He's already made it at least one start, but what happened there. I mean, Amy and I talk a lot about the development of the... They do a good job of IDing talent, but the development from once they enter the organization to get up to them... Aside from, you know, your Harper's, Strasburg, Soto's. There's plenty of other first-round picks. Fetty's a great example. I mean, yes, he's on the Major League roster, but that's a former first-round pick that should be a frontline starter and is not. And he is a mediocre starter at best. So that's another process that Mike Rizzo has to get better at. We know that they completely revamped their development process and um, structure in the organization last off season. Sure, they need some more time to kind of get that fully rolling and underway. But uh, that's still a huge question mark under Mike Rizzo's regime, at least in terms of drafting top prospects and then also developing them into not just contributors, but like stars the major league roster.
1: Yeah, that was a point I was going to make about Davey Martinez once we get into that (coughs) discussion of what these young players are doing at the major league level. But you're right, Bobby, even before they get to the major league level, we need to see some more development in the minor league system. Because like I said... You have the high-end talent. Robert Hassel is going to produce Mm. because he's really, really good. He's one of the best prospects in baseball, but we need to start seeing some more development from lower-end guys, maybe guys that were picked after the first three rounds. We're just not seeing those guys really develop. They don't need to be stars at the major league level. I mean, every once in a while, you get a seventh-round pick who turns out to be a great major league player, Mm. but we're not seeing a ton of third, fourth, fifth-round picks even really turn into quality prospects in the Nationals minor league system at this point. Mm -hmm. So you need to see some guys that don't have this unbelievable raw ability turn into prospects that could potentially be quality major league players, even if they're not stars. And then you also talk about quality
0: versus quantity. Like if we're looking at head to, they'll have a, Likely top three draft pick. The lottery hasn't happened yet, of course. We'll see where they end up. But they'll have a top, more likely than not, have a top pick coming up in this draft. The international free agency period is still kind of a free-for-all. So, And the Nationals have typically done pretty well in that area. But then you look at the trade deadline. They're not going to have... Likely, but they're probably not going to have a Soto Bell caliber player to trade to get quality prospects, like you mentioned, back this next year. Unless they make some big splash in free agency, a la Nelson Cruz, and actually have it pan out to flip for top prospects at the trade deadline, they're probably going to be looking to trade more for quantity than quality, I would think, in 2023.
1: And even last year, you could have potentially traded if Cesar Hernandez had the kind of season that the Nationals were obviously hoping Cesar mm-hmm. Hernandez would have yeah he's not going to get you a top five prospect in somebody's farm system right. but maybe he gets you the 11th or 12th best prospect in somebody's system and those kinds of players are still valuable they're not the high-end talents but they are still making your farm system better they're adding depth they're adding possible pieces to a future major league roster and i think mike rizzo hopefully will do a better job this offseason of signing some guys that will actually be worth something at the trade deadline even if it's not worth a ton yeah sign a veteran for four or five million dollars they have a decent first half of the year. Then you trade them for somebody's 12th, 13th best prospect in their farm system. That's still helping you.
0: And going back to last year, we heard reports, and even Rizzo admit himself, that the Nationals fielded offers for guys like Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., and even Patrick Corbin, and he turned them down. And it's almost like, are you in the? is this team in the position to turn down, especially when it comes to Corbin, the production, just take a flyer on anybody? Right. And like you mentioned, that— he doesn't have to be a top 10, 15 prospect. Maybe he develops into a really good contributor down the road. Who knows? But you know what Patrick Corbin is right now. You know that Kyle Edwards Jr. only has a year left of arbitration eligibility. He's probably not an over 30. He's probably not in your long-term future. Same maybe even with Kyle Finnegan. Why not? If you're going to rebuild, rebuild fully. Why not at least take a flyer on? Maybe that's what the plan is for next trade deadline.
1: Yeah, and especially with how up and down bullpen arms usually are if a team is interested in a bullpen arm that's having a good first half of the season and you don't know how long that guy can keep those good numbers going yeah even if it's not the best prospect in somebody's system you should probably be moving bullpen arms if you can because bullpen arms you just don't know if a guy is going to be on your team three or four years from now i mean even kyle finnegan who's probably the best talent wise bullpen arm on this team right now you still don't know if he's going to be a piece in three or four years that's just how bullpen arms are
0: and like a great example was there was a point last season where should they trade Tanner Rainey injury and right. then you can't trade him, so that was a huge thing. I think he got hurt in July, right, a month right before the the trade deadline. So you know, th- things like that happen too. Yes, you can go in be like, oh, this is a great piece that we could flip at the deadline. But things happen. Nelson Cruz, the eye injury, whatever. You know, a lot of things happen. Nothing's a guarantee. So if you do get that offer, you should probably just at this point go for it. Right. Um, any other thoughts on on Rizzo and what he? I think that's kind of like. We, I think it's easier to determine in a rebuild. Spe- tell me if I'm wrong, because you've seen it all from the Orioles side, but like, to judge the executive side of it because they have their fingerprints all over the organization, especially the minor leagues. Like, the manager, the major league manager doesn't really have anything to say like, on the prospects coming in and out of the organization and, and their development on the, on the minor league system. right? I think it's easier to kind of put a valuation on, on Rizzo than Davey at this point.
1: Well, the biggest mm-hmm. thing with Rizzo is that you just can't stay stagnant. We right. know the major league team is not going to be a playoff caliber roster this mm. year, which doesn't really matter. If you are looking to years down the future and saying, okay, this rebuild is going to take time. We are going to need time to bolster this farm system to develop our younger core players. It's going to take time, but you can't just stay at the same spot, right? So if Mike Rizzo is making quality signings in the offseason, for some low-money free agents that he can potentially flip at the trade deadline, continue to bolster that farm system a little bit, and if we are continuing to see some development from your younger core players at the majors and in the minors as well, as long as it looks like it's an upward trajectory. Mm. I think that's the biggest thing with Mike Rizzo. You can't just stay stagnant this year and say, well, it's going to be another bad season. There needs to be promise of what those young guys are doing.
0: And utilize every resource available to you. Yep. Free agency, rule five draft, international market, minor league free agency, you know, non-tenders, every, everything, utilize everything. I think that's a part of not staying stagnant uh, for Rizzo and, and just try to, it doesn't have to be the major league level, minor league level works as well, but you need to be adding pieces and, and, and trying to see what can fit and what works. Absolutely. All right, um, let's move over to Davey. Um, and like I said, I, I think this is a harder, oh, real quick, trivia question for you on yeah. Rizzo. Given the National's run of success since twenty twelve, between twenty twelve and twenty nineteen, what would you say the Nationals winning percentages under Mike Rizzo since two thousand nine as a Ooh. manager? As a general manager, excuse me.
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, there was obviously a long stretch where the Nats were like the kings of the NL East for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with six fifty.
0: Since two thousand nine, he took over in two thousand nine. Uh, uh when Bowden retired or resigned. Mm-hmm. He is almost exactly five hundred.
1: Really? Wow, I overshot him.
0: 1,084 to 1,081. He's only three games above 500 in his tenure. Now, there's a lot of, that's bookend, right? Like oh nine, oh ten. 9 10 Those also weren't his rosters that he put together, bad teams. They started turning things around at 11. Winning started in 12. And then the past three seasons since the World Series, 20, 21, 22, obviously, were pretty bad as well. Yeah. And between 12 and, and 19, a lot of success. But it's kind of weird that he is. You think about Mike Rizzo as one of the best GMs in baseball. But as a GM, he's just about 500.
1: Yeah, I suppose. Those bad seasons were just really bad. I mean, and those just are dra- dragged down the record a lot.
0: There's there's at least 200 lost seasons right there, right? Uh, this past season and then in 09. So, but yeah, it's kind of interesting You think because huh. you think of Rizzo of all the winning, but the whole picture kind of shows a 500 GM. Yeah. Not all his fault though. Obviously a lot of different things happen, but let's go to Davey um, right now, who is now the longest tenured manager in nationals history. He'll be entering his sixth season next year after his contract option was selected this past, uh, this past summer. Uh, does that include Frank Robinson's time in Montreal? We're only talking about NAS from Oh five to present um, as a manager. He is, 321 to 387, a 453 winning percentage over five seasons. Now, obviously, that includes a COVID season. Um, that includes now a full season of a rebuild with 100 and uh, 107 losses, um, and of course, a World Series run. So, you have to give him credit for that. But, like I said earlier, it's. Harder for me to put an evaluation in the the, uh, lens of a rebuild on the manager than it is the general manager, because he can only do with what the tools he's given, right? I mean, unless he is one of those managers that has an advanced say in how the roster is constructed, the direction of the organization, which I'm sure his input is taken, but I don't know how much actual control he has over that. So, you know, he was handed pretty poor roster at the beginning of the season we understood what they were getting themselves into and then his two best players got traded in august the beginning of august so the record is what it is i know people say you are what your record says i understand that but i think given the whole big picture you know you can't put too too much of the
1: gnats struggles this past season on Davey's shoulders no he's working with what he has Mm -hmm. and what he has is a roster that is nowhere close to the world series caliber roster he had in 2019. So you can't evaluate him as a manager in the same way that you were evaluating him a few years ago. I'd argue that you couldn't really evaluate him as much in 2021 either. Obviously that season started off with a pretty good roster, but then as you got to the trade deadline and moved some key pieces, then that was a much different team. And this year, you don't even have Juan Soto or Josh Bell for the beginning of the season, as you mentioned. So it's not even the roster that you had at the beginning of 2022 right. to evaluate him with. So you just really have to temper expectations with Davey Martinez. Yes, you can still cr- critique some game-to-game yeah you know, management decisions of, you know, the bullpen. But I'd say, I mean, last year, I think he managed the bullpen pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw quality seasons from Erasmo Ramirez, Kyle Finnegan, Tanner Rainey before he got hurt, Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey. Those aren't big names, but they all had pretty good ERAs when you look at their end-of-the-year stats. I think that's honestly kind of an impressive job by Davey Martinez.
0: Yeah, I think we can look at the day-to-day on Davey Martinez, right? Like at lineup decisions, you talk about bullpen management, managing starters, innings, and and um, their schedule. That all falls under Davey's umbrella. But like in a rebuild, you're always thinking, at least we are, more big picture. So it's like Davey's day-to-day decisions, in hindsight, don't really matter as much as the big picture decisions made by Mike Rizzo and company. That being said, we can still kind of nitpick them. Now, I agree with you. I think he did a great job managing uh, the bull, uh, the bullpen. I think he also did a pretty good job of trying to get his players in the best position to succeed. He did a lot of change. You know, we've seen managers and even maybe even Davey early on in his tenure with the Nationals, like stick to, no, this guy is hitting third. This guy is hitting fourth and be like very rigorous about it and not having any flexibility. We saw him move Luis Garcia and Lane Thomas. I think they both almost batted in every single position in the batting order this season, trying to find some way to get them going at the plate and trying to find something different. So I think he was open. He is not, not was. He is open to trying new things um, and trying to find the best situation for players to succeed. We know how much the players love him in that clubhouse you'll be hard-pressed to find any player that has gone through the Nationals clubhouse over the past five seasons who don't appreciate Davey's positivity his candor his honesty and his support I mean he always backs his players too um but his honesty too like he will tell you when you're doing something wrong how many times did we see him have to have discussions with C.J. Abrams Luis Garcia about defensive mistakes Victor Robles over the past couple of years so I think he's the right guy for the job in terms of he's got the right demeanor he's Clearly done it before, you know, going back in 2019, he outmanaged some of the best managers in the game and right. route to a World Series title. So he can do the job, I, I believe. It just needs a better roster than he's been given.
1: So here's my thing with Davey Martinez and it's kind of a similar evaluation as how I'd look at Mike Rizzo and that is is there an upward trajectory Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. now this Nationals roster as it's constructed you have some young core pieces that you are hoping are going to be centerpieces when this team is competitive Mm -hmm. and then you have whatever Mike Rizzo gives you on the margins of some veteran players that you're probably going to add in free agency or trades or whatever it might be my concern with Davey Martinez and the coaching staff kind of boils down to honestly, a few players, Victor Robles Carter Keyboom, and kind of what we saw last year from Josiah Gray and not those players specifically looking at their performance, but what it indicates about what Davey Martinez and this coaching staff is able to do. And I'll use Victor Robles as the first example. He is incredibly, incredibly toolsy. Mm. We saw how good he was his rookie season. He kind of seems to have gotten worse. He has not really shown much improvement at the plate. He is solid defensively. I mean, he's a gold glove finalist, and he makes some incredibly flashy plays, but we've seen Victor Robles just kind of do some dumb things on the baseball field, playing center field defensively, and using him as the example it's concerning that Victor Robles has not gotten better. Yeah. And you can make the argument that that's just a Victor Robles problem that he hasn't developed the way that he should, whether he's not, you know, putting in the work, whatever it might be. I'm not going to make any claims about Victor Robles, but you can't have that happen yeah. with these young pieces on the roster right now. Yeah. You can't see CJ Abrams not get better. You can't see or Ruiz not get better, and I'm concerned with what we saw last year from Victor Robles not improving, from Josiah Gray having some really big struggles mm-hmm. last season with the walk numbers, the home run numbers. That's concerning. We can't see those young pieces continue to do that. Right, and like just to play devil's advocate, my question then is how much
0: how much does that fall directly on Davy Martinez? Yeah, I think that's the question. I, I think, like, I've I've always kind of thought that. Baseball managers have the least direct impact on coaching than any other head coach, per se, in major sports. Sure. When you think about NFL, for football, you have a full week of practice where the head coach can, can do things. You have basketball, you have a handful of days in between games, same with hockey, smaller roster sizes as well, but... Baseball, it's every single day. The manager has so many other things to do in terms of putting lineups together, uh, pitching schedules, who's available out of the bullpen, injury reports, minor league report, all everything. I'm not saying Davey can't do those things. I'm just saying, outside of spring training, I don't think he's very hands on on the day to day coaching of some of these guys. He's not. He is hands on. I mean, we see him interact with players every single day. He's batting practice, etc. Right. He's definitely. Coaching, but I don't know how much an uh, any baseball manager actually has direct coaching line. So does that fall on Davy Martinez in the sense that he's not coaching up Victor Robles enough, or does that fall on the people that Davy hired to coach up David uh, Victor Robles? Yeah,
1: so that's my question for you. I, I'm not trying to pin everything no, no, on sure. Davy Martinez, right. but my question for you then, Bobby, is let's say let's use the Victor Robles example and his struggles at the plate. Isn't a Darnell Coles problem kind of a Davy Martinez problem? It is 100% because yeah. he brought him in. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's less of what is Davey Martinez doing specifically and more of is this coaching staff that has been assembled going to prove that they can develop these young players at the major league level? I think that's the biggest question. Yeah.
0: And then you look, so then to for that same example, let's take Kevin Long when he was the hitting coach here. Juan Soto had some of the best seasons he'd ever had. Um, under Kevin Long, Uh, so did, I mean, before this was before Davey Martinez, but Daniel Murphy. Um, The Nationals had a great offense last year, Kyle Schwarber as well, with Kevin Long as the hitting coach. Kevin Long goes away, Nationals ground ball rates are up, double play balls rates are up, Um, home runs are down. That philosophy of getting the ball up in the air kind of went away. I'm not saying Darnell Coles doesn't believe in that, but for whatever reason, there was a disconnect between last year's offense and this year's offense. So it wasn't just Victor. And Victor Robles has been what we've seen now through it all, even when Kevin Long was here. So... To me, that kind of points, maybe it is more of a Victor problem. We t- we knew a couple of seasons ago there was that issue with his weight and he lost a step and stuff like that. So maybe it is a Victor Robles problem more so than a Davey problem in
1: but, this specific instance. Right. In this specific instance, sure. And, you know, you mentioned the, the fly balls kind of going away. We heard Davey Martinez say at one point this season that he wanted to see C.J. Abrams hit right. the ball on the ground more. Yeah. I mean, what? Yeah. You know, like that's just that question uh, is present for me because again you look at the coaching staff and not even just Victor Robles I mean Carter Keboom really struggled even before his injury and Josiah Gray is the other one that I pointed to as well he had a lot of struggles last year this coaching staff needs to be able to develop those young players because Mike Rizzo can trade all of the pieces he wants. he he can get every top prospect in baseball but if the Nationals can't develop them and help yeah. them to reach their ceiling doesn't matter and i think the devel- you mentioned cj abrams
0: and let's even add in like luis garcia right there. I sure. sure and kba ruiz josiah gray like name your prospect who is on the major league roster right now that directly falls under davy martinez yes guys like robert hassel james wood elijah green not davy's problem right, right now um not not his issue but the guys that he is given yes for sure and you know put players in the right position to succeed you know obviously he made the the right decision to put CJ Abrams at shortstop Garcia at second base but he even made the decision to put Lane Thomas in right field at the end of the season where Lane Thomas excelled and he got improved uh, greatly defensively so those kind of decisions fall under Davey's umbrella and how he will address the team and, and develop the team the overall development not his problem but once and the problem is once they get to the major league roster how does Davey and his coaching staff also coach them up to continue their development and become major league players
1: yeah and I think if the question is how do you you evaluate Davy Martinez in 2023. I mm-hmm. think you said it. You look at are we seeing improvement from Ruiz, Abrams, Garcia? Maybe you can put Robles and Thomas under that umbrella. They're young enough where you'd still like them to develop. Great. Keyboom as well. And then on the pitching side, are we seeing Key consistent boom, yeah. improvement from Gore, Cavalli and Gray? Yeah. That's how I'm going to evaluate David Martinez. Not, are these young players all of a sudden stars? Are they helping you towards a playoff push? But are we seeing them get better from April to July? So are you looking more at... at, Are you looking more
0: at that overall than like the record? What if their record improves just slightly? I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win 20 more games than they did. they But what if Mm -hmm. the record improves, lose closer to just 100 games or even less... But you don't see significant strides from those other. What does that say to you?
1: I'd rather see the strides. Yeah, I I don't think the record long term. I don't think the record matters this year. I mean, obviously, you would like to not have the worst record in baseball by five games. That would be great. And I think a lot of that falls on Mike Rizzo of, as we said before, trying to win on the margins a little bit more, trying to find quality veteran pieces that are helping you. I don't care about the record. Yeah. I want to see the young guys make strides because when the nationals are back in the position to sign big free agents, to mm-hmm. make big trades, to make a playoff push, those young guys need to be there.
0: And I think, I think just in that case, if the nationals do, I mean, you just named like a third of the roster and also big key guys. So if they do right. make improvements, uh, via the record the team will get better those probably guys that have probably had good seasons right. and, and made different strides um all right just so i had a since i had a trivia question for rizzo here's one for Davey for you Ooh. what do you think his
1: managerial challenge percentages like percentage of challenges that he's won he's won yes man i, I, I think n- i'm not give you any pre- preparation for
0: this so no I,
1: i'm trying to remember in his career so over five back, seasons right i'm gonna give him a 70%. Ooh, a little, little high. 52.2. Yeah. Oh, I'm 200%. overshooting these guys. Yeah. I'm really giving, giving them the benefit of out yeah. here. Yeah.
0: yeah. I would actually guess lower. I don't know why I feel like Davey loses a lot of challenges. I, I, I
1: feel he like he was good this year. He was. On challenges. I think you,
0: I don't have it right in front of maybe, me, maybe right. a in
1: right from um, me. Maybe I'm just recency bias on but, the Davey Martinez challenges. But I
0: think of things like all those ridiculous rules of running down the first baseline that they always get overturned. Like, yeah. and I'm thinking like Trey Turner, I forget who it was. It was Trey Turner in both in Chicago and the world series. Um, yeah. Uh, this year he was 43.3%. Oh, it's
1: not as good as I No, thought.
0: but he was 73.7% in 2020. Okay. Only 19 challenges, but he won 14 of them. There you go. Yeah. And he's been ejected 10 times if you wanted to know,
1: um, <laughs> well, I'm giving him a lot of credit.
0: Yeah. A lot of credit. Um, so to wrap this up, Brendan real quick, because like I said earlier, you have seen this process on the Orioles side who are now obviously mm-hmm. a couple of ha- years ahead of the nationals. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, like they're not Mike Rizzo and Dave Martinez are not guaranteed to stay with the nationals beyond next year. Ha- have you seen as it pertains to the Orioles, a benefit of Elias and Brandon Hyde doing this together uh, and relating it back to the Nats, would it behoove them to whoever the new ownership is, or maybe it doesn't change at all, but to then stick with Rizzo and Davey beyond 2023 and have them see this through
1: well I think you either stick with both or neither Mm -hmm. I think you either clean house or the people in house are under the same umbrella of knowing what's going on yeah a lot of the Orioles success has come from the fact that Elias and Hyde have been on the same page of Brandon Hyde's goal is not to win a ton of baseball games it is now that the orioles are competitive but over the last four seasons or so the goal was to develop young players and to do the best that you have with some low money veteran guys Mm -hmm. the goal wasn't to make a playoff push and so if davy martinez and mike rizzo are on the same page of hey get these young guys developed that's what's important sort of thing just kind of keep your head above water i think there's no reason to believe that they can't accomplish that. But I also think it's possible that the Nationals could just say, hey, let's let's clean out. So we got to revamp a lot of different things. And let's just do that with an entire new regime. Yeah, I, my,
0: my only argument to not doing that is then why did you let Rizzo and Davey do these past two trade deadlines? I yep. mean, those were franchise altering moves the past two seasons. And then why would you now just clean house? Cause what if the guy you bring in wouldn't have done that or would have done something differently?
1: Yeah. The top prospects are their guys. Right. And if they don't work out, that's on Mike Rizzo because right. Mike Rizzo is the one making the trades. So it would be a difficult position for a new general manager to come in and not really have any of his guys and not really have a ton of players at the major league roster that you can trade to get your guys. If yeah. you wanted to,
0: I think there's a lot to be said for some consistency moving forward and, and you know, Another thing that I'm going to put in their basket is that they have understood the assignment. They agreed to this. You know, they understood that this was necessary and that th- this is the best way to rebuild this organization. And they want to take to undertake it. Right. Like it's going to be hard. I think, I mean, you could hire a major league general manager and a major league manager pretty easily, but it's going to be hard to find someone you want to bring in who can do the job and be like, you have to go through a rebuild for the next at least two seasons as opposed to Mike Rizzo and David Martinez have already signed up for it. And then they both, I know that why would, they're not going to, you know, put down their or put their jobs into question. But near the end of the season, they both t- were speaking in long-term phrases. You know, they both said looking forward to the future, looking forward to when he's playing for us down the line in a couple of seasons, yada, yada. So they expect to see this through. I know manager and general manager contracts are kind of like year to year basis. So like you go year by year, but like it would be interesting to see if a new ownership group comes in and decides to clean house. I think that would be a huge step backward, but that's up to the new owner i mean that's that's their decision
1: yeah i mean i think they're both very capable of leading this thing in the right direction we have seen mike rizzo take I, I mean you mentioned his overall record and how it's a lot worse than we thought it might be at least i thought it might be right the beginning of mike rizzo's tenure he had a bad baseball team mm-hmm. and then you mentioned the consistent success that culminated in a world series so mike rizzo is clearly capable of taking a roster with not a ton of talent and turning it into a consistent contender. And Davey Martinez, I think, as a player's manager, is in a pretty good spot yeah. to be on a rebuilding team that needs somebody to help them develop. I think the biggest question marks with Davey Martinez are about the coaching staff and whether or not they can develop these guys on the field. But I think a player's manager like Davey Martinez is big for a clubhouse that's gonna need a good voice in there when they're not winning a lot of games
0: and Davey has seen this process play out from the dugout in tampa bay and in chicago before arriving as the head man in washington in 2018 so a lot of interesting moving parts moving forward of course like i said the ownership cloud, hovers over everything. We don't really know how that's going to pan out, especially in terms of Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez's future, but they do have some work to be done to try to improve this club, not just for next year, but for years down the line and turn the Nationals back into a contender. Want to give a big thanks again to Brendan for joining the show this week. Pinch hitting for Amy Jennings. Hopefully, we'll be back next week, but if not, Brendan, of course, is more than capable of joining the show. Uh, Follow him on Twitter, at Brendan Morty. Give him a follow. He's been doing a lot of great stuff all over Mass and All Access all season long, so be sure to give him a follow on Twitter. Big thanks to Paul Mang connor for producing the show behind the scenes myself i'm at bobby underscore blanco be sure to subscribe to the mass and all access podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast stitcher wherever you find podcasts you can find the mass and all access podcast and subscribe and hit notifications on mass and national's facebook page and youtube channel so you can check out our brand new set which we will be decorating more over the next couple of weeks so you can see our new set on uh, the live stream thanks again for tuning in we'll see you next week